We're continuing in Proverbs, and I'm actually doing a part two on the heels of last week. Last week, we looked at the topic of anger. And as we're looking at Proverbs this summer, the way we're doing it is really, in some ways, the way you, you have to study Proverbs unless you have a long, long, long time to study it is to look at it uh, by subject, thematically, topically. And as someone who has been so prone to anger and failed at anger so many times, I, I hope this isn't just me uh, hogging the pulpit, but I, I, uh, I thought I, there's just so much more to say about anger. I want to do a part two. So we're going to pick up there this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, the passages I'm going to look at are in the bulletin, so you can just follow right there. You may have seen this in the news this past week. This is not something that just happened this past week, but I first saw the news about it, I think, Tuesday. The New York Times did a piece on it, and I saw it in some other news outlets. Um, There's a writer up in Toronto named Juana Thompson. And she's a freelance writer. She uh, had an internship within, like, an entertainment media kind of blog and did some writing for them. And she herself is a hip-hop enthusiast, big fan, writes about it, engages it, and, uh, and also consider, considered herself a, a fan of Nicki Minaj. And a few weeks ago, she tweeted, and, and uh, as a writer, she not only wrote for a blog or whatever, but kind of had a social media platform, social media presence. So she tweeted a few weeks ago, I can't use her exact language, but she said, what, what if Nicki Minaj started putting out more mature content. And when she says mature, she doesn't mean like, like TV mature, like, you know, adult themes, because Nikki has been covering that. But she, uh, she, she, but she meant, you know, just things like, hey, she's, she's not a, a teenager anymore, and what if she's writing about more, you know, the hard things of life and growing up and realities of life? And, and, she, and she's tweeted this as a fan, and this wasn't the person saying, you know, why are people listening to rap music? They should listen to classical music. I mean, she's a hip-hop fan. So she tweeted this and was assaulted online. Uh, Nicki Minaj has this fiercely devoted fan base that just came after her. And, and actually, Nicki Minaj direct messaged her along the same lines. Um, Death threats. Someone went online or, or found somewhere in her social media account, found a picture of her and uh, her four-year-old daughter and sent threats with the photo of the daughter in the threat. And here's the thing that I want you to remember is, and, and I think we need to say this from time to time because it's easy when we're pontificating about, you know, our culture today and our cultural decay and we're not what we used to be, is to sort of act like there's something that put badness into us. The Internet did not insert anything into us. Social media did not insert anything into us. Tech does not insert anything into us. Jesus said, from within, out of men's hearts, come all these terrible things. Uh, now, what things like the Internet and technology and social media, what it does do is give a, a way bigger platform for what's already in there, whether that's anger or lust or self-absorption or consumption or whatever. But that little incident from, uh, from the past few weeks, that, that's just yet another 
example that we live in an angry world. And when we talk about living in an angry world, we're not just saying, oh, I know, I, I changed lanes the other day without signaling, and someone beeped at me. You know, it, it's school shootings. It's domestic violence. It's church splits. It's families exploding. I mean, we live in an angry world. And, and again, I hope what you heard last week is we first have to look at ourselves. This is not about, oh, I tell you, boy, I do know some angry people. Like, this is not a sermon in the third person, I hope. But we live in an angry world, and we're in an angry part of it. So what does it look like to navigate that with wisdom? Let's look at these Proverbs. I'm going to read these. I'm not going to name the chapter and verse on each passage. Those are listed after each one. And then I'm going to read the next passage. The, the, um, those passages in italics are from the New Testament. I'm going to read that first one along with the Proverbs. It's from the New Testament book of James, And a lot of New Testament scholars have noted that the book of James in the New Testament, it reads like wisdom literature. You know, Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature, these books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some of the Psalms. James sounds like that. So I'm going to read these Proverbs and this passage from James, and then I'll pray. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. And then from James 1, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Our Father, it seems that there's something about anger and the light of Your Word and not just the commands, but the description of what we ought to be and what you are. Something about that light coming in and exposing anger in particular is very, it's just very convicting. And so we pray that even this morning that you would not, that you would convict us, but that you would do it to heal us and to cleanse and transform us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are here last week, uh, you heard some Proverbs that sound like this. There's a lot of overlap because these are all of a piece. And, uh, and you heard some Proverbs last week about being slow to anger. And, uh, and we actually talked about that's, that's an echo of how God 
describes himself. And, you know, we talked about there's this, this, uh, this account in the book of Exodus where God is passing by Moses, and God is describing himself, and he says that he, as the Lord, is slow to anger. And in Hebrew, it means long of nose. And if that seems like a strange image, just think about nose the way we might talk about a fuse. Long nose, slow to anger. Short fuse, blow up immediately. So we looked at these Proverbs about being slow to anger, and you just heard some of these. And I don't know what your mental picture is about, like, being slow to anger and being in control of yourself in regard to, to anger. And I, I don't know if, if, if your mental picture is that if we all buy into this and we all get good at it, good at it, that we'll just kind of be like these Jedi masters and we're just stepping into situations and speaking calmly and these aren't the droids you're looking for and everyone calms down. Let me, let me read you something. This is written by a, uh, a counselor and writer named Dan Allender, and he gives this account. I don't know if it's her real name, but he's working with a woman named, uh, named Jane, and he had learned her story, and he had learned about how toxic her, her family dynamic was, that her parents would pit her against the other one and manipulate her and withhold affection. It was just a very cruel environment. He actually describes her father as being evil. And so he had worked with her, and what he was trying to, to get her to, to learn is you can't let them set the terms, nor is Scripture calling you merely to be nice or a doormat. You're to love boldly. That's this, this book in which this appears is called Bold Love. So listen to, to this uh, encapsulation of what happened when her father called her and she really began to step into what would it look like for me to not be angry and traffic in anger. Her father calls her. Hi, honey, I'm calling to see when you'll be arriving. And she's an adult. And what did he just do? This is a classic. Is, is telling someone what to do under the guise of a question. There was no, can you come? Hi, honey, I'm calling to see uh, when you'll be arriving. Jane, well, Dad, I can at least say it won't be in this calendar year. Her dad, what? You know your mom is counting on you helping with the big 4th of July party. She won't be able to do it without your help. That's too, da- that's too bad, Dad. You know, a lot of catering firms do holiday spreads, and I bet there's some in your area. Don't get cute with me. You know your mother wants you here, not a catering firm. Now, let's get serious. You will be coming home. Dad, Do you recall the conversation a few nights ago when you yelled and called me some terrible names? Well, I told you then I would no longer allow you to sin against me or yourself by enduring your use of rage and shame. Before you get too much more intense, let me make it clear again. I will not stay on the phone if that is your manner of relating to me. Dad, are you willing to think with me about the way you deal with me and, frankly, almost everyone in our family? Well, fine. I'll tell your mother about your decision. And let me tell you, I have no interest in being lectured by a kid who has no more sense than, Dad, I'll look forward to the day that you do desire to interact, so I'll be talking with you soon. Bye, Dad. And she, she told Dan Allender that she got off the phone and she shook like a leaf for hours. Now, when you hear that, I think what you'd have to say is, that was something that is way more difficult than niceness and much stronger 
because it was wise. Uh, she was not being a doormat, nor was she letting him set the terms, nor was she playing by his rules, nor was she enabling him. She was speaking out of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is hard. Wisdom is strong. Wisdom is harnessed to love. Wisdom is what we're called to. So I want to think some more about navigating this angry world. Wherever you experience, you are experiencing it somewhere. I don't have to ask if. If there's any sermon that needs no if, it's your employer, or coworkers, or family. It's in yourself. It's in your neighbors. It's certainly in just the cultural water that we swim in. So let me do it this way. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go old-fashioned on us. Uh, if you read like older Christian sermons, I don't mean like 1900s, I mean even like the Puritans. The, the, a, a Puritan sermon would usually be two points, doctrine and then application. And they would say it that way. Here's the doctrine and here's the application. And there'd probably be more than two points in the application. In fact, one time I saw a Puritan sermon where a guy said, seventeenthly, Okay, I won't, do, I won't do that this morning, but 17thly. But let's think in terms of doctrine and, and application. Now, on the doctrine, let me, let me jump up out of Proverbs for a second. And it's, I, I, don't, I don't want to say anything at odds with Proverbs, but we are looking at Proverbs through the lenses of the New Testament. We read the Old Testament through the lenses of the New Testament. And the way that we started this series was to say, look, but these are not, this is not just like, the Judeo-Christian traditions version of all religions having sort of maxims for life. So, you know, if you grow up in this country, this tradition, it's Confucianism. And if you grow, uh, grow up over here, it's the, uh, it's, you know, Chairman Mao's sayings. And if you grow up here, it's, it's this. And, and in the Judeo-Christian tradition, is Proverbs. The New Testament goes out of its way to say that Jesus Christ is... God's wisdom, not as an, as an abstraction, but that He in Himself, truly God and truly man, is the wisdom of God. To have Him, to be one with Him, to be united with Him, is to tap into the wisdom of God. So, let me, by way of doctrine, say, okay, as New Testament believers, as we're looking at these Proverbs, I want us to have our legs up under us. So, let me throw out three things, not 17, three. First off, I want you to remember that the New Testament says, if you are in Christ, New Testament loves that expression. Paul loves that expression. If you believe in Him so that God unites you to him. You're in him and he's in you. If you have that, according to Paul, you have every spiritual blessing. Here's just, and this is just a short part of a long, long sentence in Paul. In one of his letters, Ephesians 1, that's that second italic passage, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with how much? Every spiritual blessing. And I, I don't want to go any further without making sure that's just right there on, on the front burner on your insides. Because when we are angry, 
what it feels like is, and I'm saying this as a Christian. I'm not assuming you are a Christian, but I'm speaking from the Christian perspective. What it feels like is what I most need right now in my life is Jesus and to win. I need Jesus and to be understood. I need Jesus and I also need resolution. And I get it. But in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. And I'm not saying that we don't crave resolution. And I'm also not saying that we don't need each other. But what I want to put before you is that as we're talking about navigating an angry world, the way I want to think about it is not as like needy people, cups half full, cup one-third full, trying to do our best. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything. Second thing. Um, when, when you're in a situation and you're dealing with somebody and you experience anger, and this really ties in the first thing, what you crave is they've just got to understand my angle on it because they're, they're misrepresenting me or they're misconstruing me or there's some facts that they don't know, and if they just understood those facts, then they would treat me the way that they're supposed to treat me. But, that, but if I just tell them those facts or if I can just explain those facts, then I'll get what I need to get. When you are treated cruelly, misrepresented, misunderstood, misconstrued, according to the New Testament, you are fellowshipping in Christ's sufferings. Now, I'm not talking about when you've done something terrible and somebody comes to you and says, that was terrible. All right, that's, that was Adam's sermon two weeks back. That's confrontation. I'm talking about as imperfect people, as you're trying to walk in God's righteousness, when someone misrepresents you, lies about you, misconstrues what you did or said, and it's infuriating and you want to like climb up on top of a building and get a speaker system and explain it to the whole town that you're right and they're wrong. What you got from that person, you're fellowshipping in Christ's sufferings. If you don't want to be misunderstood, don't follow Jesus. That's the road he walked. Listen to this from 1 Peter. This is the next passage down. This is from the New Testament. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And, and that's an Old Testament way of talking. Life is a walk. So Jesus walked before us. Death. Suffering, death, glory. We're walking in the steps behind him, and we haven't reached death and glory yet. So suffering. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And now that last part is really important, and it's the setup for the next thing, because that feeling of, but they're getting away with it, and it's wrong, is true. Sometimes you are, you're in a front row seat to watch someone get away with something, and you know that they're wrong. And, and what, what kills us is the feeling of, 
they're going to get away with it. And we, we probably won't say this, but it's in there. They're going to get away with it, and it'll never be dealt with. They'll never have to answer for it. It'll never be put under the light. And that's where you have to have a biblical vantage point. Okay. What, what did the passage just say? Jesus didn't trash talk. He didn't revile in return. When he was insulted, he didn't insult back. Can you imagine his perfect intelligence, the ability he would have to insult? Crush you. Didn't do it. But what did he do? He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. And why is that so important? Who judges justly. In other words, there is a coming reckoning. Let me read from the New Testament. This is that last passage at the bottom. This, this could sound like Old Testament. It quotes the Old Testament, but this is New Testament. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That is a bigger deal than we make of it, and it is absolutely critical for navigating an angry world. What do I do with all the things that are unresolved and not dealt with? Isn't somebody going to deal with this? The Old and the New Testament say, yes, he will. That's why you don't have to be the vigilante. You don't have to be the attacker. You don't have to be the executioner. Because he will deal with it. Part of the gospel is that Christ will come on his white horse, our victor. So that, if that's the doctrine, how do we circle back to Proverbs and engage in some best practices, we might say? Let me throw out three. The first is embrace the better comeback. Uh, you and I have grown up with a lifetime of sarcasm and flippancy and one-upmanship and the zinger comeback, and uh, we've grown up with reality TV shows where somebody just has it, and they kind of storm off the set and maybe like whack something off the table when they're walking out. At that, like, that is what has formed and shaped us. And so it actually seems fairly self-controlled that I, I'm going to like just say this one thing and take them down. And look back at this proverb. Uh, the, the, the chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but, now this translation says, but a harsh word stirs up anger, and a, one really good Hebrew scholar says, the word that's translated harsh there, you could actually just translate it painful, and it means something that is intended to inflict pain on someone's psyche. In other words, the harsh, a harsh comeback doesn't have to be the explosive comeback or the vulgar comeback. What it can be is just, I know just which button to push on you to make you feel terrible. Not wise. Now, does, does Proverbs say, in fact, don't have a comeback? Mm -mm. It says embrace the better comeback. What is the better com comeback? Self-control, the soft answer. A soft answer turns away wrath. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. I mean, think about this. 
um, the New Testament describes this thing called your flesh. It's not talking about your physical bodily existence. It's talking about the old you. And if you're a believer and you're a new you, then it's the residue of the old you. You know, if you're watching one of those reality TV shows where somebody's storming off the set and screaming, I'm done, and cuss words and stuff's bleeped out and they're throwing stuff across the room, like your flesh would be sitting by you eating Doritos going, "Mm, I love that. (laughs) Your flesh has taught you the creed, I need to win. And wisdom, and the New Testament just fits this like, it just dovetails into this, is that the Spirit is saying, I need to love. And don't hear me as, I need to be nice. No. I don't need to win. I need to love. The better comeback is love. Second, guard your community. Guard your community. Uh, Look at these two again. One is more comprehensive, and then one really focuses about anger. Chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I've heard multiple people say that studies have been done that you probably, your net worth would probably end up being an average of the net worth of your five closest friends that you spend the most time with. And all that is is just a fleshing out and I guess maybe a documentation of something Scripture has been saying all along, and that is that the people who are around you, who are closest to you, form you, shape you. You're not as objective as you think you are. We're being shaped by the people to whom we're closest. And so what it commends is walk alongside wise people and become wiser. Be shaped by wise people. But then listen to this application, 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Be careful of hitching your wagon to angry friends. And um, what you might find, and I, I suspect this is more of the room than we might care to admit, what you might find is that, especially if you're sort of a deferential person and sort of a nicer person, you might find that you're drawn to people who say the things you wish you could say, but it would mess up your nice PR campaign. So you can kind of live vicariously through them as they spew. And Proverbs says you have to be so careful because that person forms you. It doesn't mean only hang out with perfect people. There are no perfect people. But wise community grows wisdom in you. Angry community grows anger in you. And boy, that's all it needs is more fuel. Guard your community. And the third one is this. Is beware enabling. Beware enabling. It's amazing that there's at least one proverb that that so specifically speaks to what counselors call enabling rather than addressing something in love, naming something, speaking in truth. is just managing it, handling it, uh, allowing it, and trying to put a buffer between all the potential damage and normal life out here. 
Chapter 19, verse 19. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Isn't that amazing? If you deliver a raging person, you're just going to have to do it again. Uh, lots of applications for all kinds of things. Let me, let me make one specific application. South Carolina is consistently among the um, worst states in the country for domestic violence. At one point, we were the worst, or number one, however you want to say it, one or 50. I think most recently, we were about number five. Let me make it more pointed. Uh, one of my professors in seminary who, when he would preach at a church, and it would be churches like in our denomination, churches that believe what we believe, do stuff that we do, he says that any time he's made a sermon application about domestic abuse, there is a woman or women waiting on him after the service. Let me make it more personal. Uh, I know at one point, I was told this, this is not, you'll see why I'm saying that to you. I was told at one point that um, in the women's restrooms here, that um, there was information about, you know, if, you, if you're being abused, physically, verbally, emotionally, here's a number you can contact. And after a while, the numbers were gone. I, I, the numbers were gone. How would you understand that when you hear that? Would you understand that as, I guess those were all uh, female visitors to the church. There is no universe where you can get the Scripture to bless physical, verbal, or emotional abuse. And uh, some of you might be in the situation right now where you need to go to a shelter or you need to contact law enforcement, or you need to involve the elders. Don't let yourself say to yourself, let me manage it a little bit more and maybe it'll get better. That's not wise. It's not, it's not helping you. Wisdom is, if you rescue, even in the form of, let, let me remove all the consequences this might have in your, in your life. If you rescue an angry man, you will only have to do it again. Avoid enabling. Uh, so much more to say, and uh, I, I'm not going to do a six-part series on anger. But let me just end by saying this. You know... What's the first time you see someone really mad in the Bible? I mean, Adam gets irritated at Eve, and Eve gets irritated at the snake. And, but the, what's the first time somebody's really mad? And it's, uh, it's the next chapter. When sin has entered the world, it's, it's Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. And this thing happens, and, and Cain is premeditating killing his brother, and God comes to him. This is amazing. First off, God comes to him and he talks to him about it. God doesn't come to him and say, hey, I don't think you knew this. I read minds and I know your insides, so I'm going to destroy you. God comes to him and he talks about what's going. It's really like the first instruction by God about what do you do with your sin. And here's what God does not say. He doesn't say, okay, 
Cain, you and Abel, from here on out, you work on opposite ends of the property. He's over there, you're over here, and let's just all manage the best we can. That is not what God says. He says this, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. Strong language. It's the language that God used about Eve, that your desire will be for your husband. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Our bad anger is always right at our door. It wants to have us. It desires us. And wisdom is that we must master it. And in Christ, we actually can. Not perfectly, but purposefully. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you say in your word, put sin to death. Don't play with it. Don't manage it. Kill it. Put it off. Put on the new man. Put on love. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. And Father, we would say to you what you already know, and that is that we're not good at it. But we want to walk in love. We want any anger we have to be like your anger, to be righteous and centered on the needs of others. Uh, We pray that you would enable us to put grudges and malice and put-downs and attacks and escalation and explosion and abuse to death and to put on the new man. Lord Jesus, thank you that you bore our sin, even our rage. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.